My bad. Wrong one. <laughs> so funny. I'm going to have a baby right now. It's the return to tradition. Welcome home, my son. It's the return to the great outdoors. Summer camp. Our Amanda's already skipped two grades. How about your boy? Probation. It's the return of family values. You still desire me, the old ball and chain? Forever. I'll get them. Adam's family values. What? I didn't say anything. That's the baby's nickname. What? Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, November 19th at Theaters Everywhere. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Angela Yoshiko. You are listening to Old Millennials Remember Movies, and I am here with my co-host, Tyler Wilson. Did you do a gag? I did a gag. <laughs> did you like it? Yeah. So, funny story. Mm-hmm. Um, our kids are all young, as you listeners know. We have got three, five, seven, and nine. And so, the, ki- the younger kids are in school, and one of the things they're learning is Days of the Week. So, the song Days of the Week has been popular in our house since our nine-year-old went to school several years ago. So, when I told Marshall, who's three, that we're going to watch The Addams Family, I sang him The Addams Family song. And then, later that night, I go, okay, so we're going to watch the movie The Addams Family. And he goes, yeah, it's a Days of the Week movie. <laughs> the Days of the Week. Doot, doot. Nice. So, yeah. There you go. Great. That's a fun family story for this Addams Family Debut. Yeah, we're going to talk about the 1991 Adams Family movie, followed mm-hmm. by the 1993 Three. Adams Family Values, and then also we're going to talk about that new one that came out last year too. Ooh. We're not going to talk about Adams Family Reunion, which was like in 1998 with a new cast, maybe went straight to video, because I have not seen it. I don't even know what you're talking about. Can't imagine that it's very good. Okay. Anyway. So, before we get into the Adams Family movies. Spooktacular. Spooktacular. <laughs> what have you been watching recently? Well, I've been watching some stuff. Watching a lot of things. Um, I tried to kick off October by watching Wishmaster. Ugh. <laughs> what were you thinking? Did you forget about that movie? No, I had never seen Wishmaster. What? What are you thinking? You're thinking of the Page Master, starring Macaulay Culkin. No. no. Maybe. <laughs> You don't know. That's what's funny. What's funny to me is that you're not sure. <laughs> Wishmaster is a horror movie about an evil genie-ish who creates some havoc on the world. It's like a 90s movie. Um, it's super... I mean, cheesy's not the right word. It's kind of just low budget, but it's all the... Um, and it's, you know, not great. Not a, not a great cast. Uh, other than the genie, who's uh, quite something. But... You know, it's a relatively low budget thing here, but all the money they went into um, grotesque uh, practical effects. Like, because this is a genie who, you know, you be careful what you wish for because everything's going to turn out bad and basically really gory for you. Mm-hmm. And so you get a lot of that in the movie, and it's all just, um, I mean, you have to, you have to be kind of, you have to be appreciative of this kind of uh, uh, physical gore. But I mean, I, you know, it's. Especially, you know, now in the, the days of CGI, it's just nice to watch a movie with a lot of practical, uh, goofy horse shit going on. And so, um, you know, I enjoyed it uh, in that respect. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it great? No, of course not. But, you know, it's got its cult status for a reason, I would say. So that was my inaugural. I think I might have watched it on October 1st. Nice. I might have done it. as like Walk little into October. Hawaii- oh, Hawaiian. What was I saying? Halloween 
uh, jump in for the month. Are you okay? No. You having some neurological problems? Did you I'm, get COVID recently? I might have gotten COVID. Yikes. Everybody's getting it. Um, so I also, ooh, I tuned into, you know, there's a lot of these film festivals that are kind of going on right now. So no. So Tyler, most people don't know about that and aren't familiar. In the lead up to the Academy Awards every year, there's a lot of these film festivals. I mean, Sundance is kind of the one that everybody knows in America, yeah. but that happens in January, very earlier in the year. Uh, we get a lot toward the end of the year. Um, that's kind of like where a lot of the Oscar movies go, and there's a lot of where the buzz comes. There's Toronto. There's the New York Film Festival. There's uh, Telluride, things of this nature, right? There's what? It's called Telluride. Sure. I, I knew that. Wrong. Um, anyway, I'm a film connoisseur. Um, anyway, this year, because of the uh, pandemic, a lot of these things have either been um, canceled or just really scaled back. There's drive-in screenings and a lot of virtual screenings. Uh, Toronto did mostly virtual, uh, but of course, because we weren't in the country, they kind of limited it to Canadians only. But the New York Film Festival um, actually opened it up so you could purchase a ticket uh, for movies to watch. You had a very limited window. This was when I watched, uh, I told you I rented this. I was like, okay, I have to start it at 4 o'clock yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, if you miss your window, you miss East, the movie. East Coast time, so, you know, it's not exactly a convenient time with our kids and stuff like that, so I, I paid and I watched Nomad Land. And, um, this is, so a lot of the movies this year have been, Oscar movies have been either delayed or moved to next year, or in the case of, like, Netflix... They're still putting their movies out, but they're not uh, attending the festival, so they're not sending things to the festival. So uh, it's big; it's you know greatly scaled back. But Nomadland is the is one of the handful of movies that have gone you know kept going and is garnering buzz, and will probably in this weird year most definitely be uh, kind of a major Oscar contender, probably. Oh. Um, so that nobody's seen. No, no one's seen it. It'll be out <laughs> apparently in theaters in December. Um, it's, it's going to play another few of these uh, festivals, but it stars, uh, Frances McDermott. Uh, she is playing a widow who, uh, she, you know, she has to, she used to work in a town that was like either a mine or something that is all the, it's dried up. They closed down. Basically the, the zip code has been erased because no one can live there anymore. So she's just taking work where she can get it. The movie kind of opens with her working as a seasonal worker at Amazon, but then she needs to go find more work, and so she gets kind of latches on to this nomad culture of kind of these older Americans who kind of travel around in a van or an RV, and they go and kind of find some more work where they go, and then they um, move on to another place. And so um, it's directed by Chloe uh, Zhao. Uh, she made the movie The Writer a couple of years ago, which is about uh, rodeo guy like a real life guy who was a real life guy but this is a narrative film and he had a you know pretty serious head injury and so he kind of had to you know find a new career essentially and so it's kind of the semi-autobiographical with featuring the main the actual guy who's never been an actor before in the part and so nomadland is kind of the same thing in in that she casts a lot of real life people in like the supporting roles but then you have uh, david strathairn as a kind of another guy and then Francis McDermott is your lead and so it's this combination of kind of these non-professional actors with someone who is obviously a juggernaut actress in the form yeah. of Francis McDormand and so I liked the writer I thought it was a good movie I didn't love it love it a lot of great photography a lot of great cinematography this 
this is better. It's it's got um, a, just a great just having Frances McDermott in it is uh, is an anchor to it. It's weird because she is just kind of a juggernaut actor, right? I think I said that already, but she's also can very easily like just kind of blend in with these other people, and it just there's a lot of humanity in her performance in way that she, in the way that she interacts with these other people, and so. It, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great combination of kind of her, you know, using her as kind of the anchor of the movie, but also kind of telling this story that is very distinctly American and feel, feels very genuine. And, it, you know, it, it's not trying to make a, a political statement at all, which I, I appreciate. It's kind of just about these people and, you know, the where they are in their lives. I think it's kind of set maybe in 2013 or so. Um, it's really good, and there's a sequence that's kind of set where she works temporarily at Wall Drug, uh, which is kind of a funny place. I mean, if you just a lot of places kind of in the West and Midwest that you know you're familiar with if you've ever driven through, essentially. And so, it, it's a it's a weird thing to kind of make Wall Drug look beautiful, you know, yeah. in a way, uh, yeah. you know. But it is, and it's it's just a it's a really well made movie. I'm glad I got to watch it early and. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of the best of the year, so I would recommend it um, whenever it gets Months around. from now. When I, we've all forgotten that you've told us about it, when we don't remember what it's about. Thanks. Thanks for this I would imagine that it will probably, if it doesn't go to streaming right away, just the state of movie theaters right now, like as we're recording this, Regal Cinemas has reclosed all of their theaters nationwide, so I would imagine that if it does get a release, it will probably also be on a VOD platform as well. So, cool. Really good. I also watched Weathering With You, mm-hmm. which I've been looking forward to. This kind of came out early, early in the year. Um, it is from the same uh, Japanese director of Your Name, which is a movie I really, really liked uh, from a couple years ago. It's kind of a... It's an anime film, but it's it's kind of like a, a, a sci-fi romance. This is kind of in that same vein. It's very... It's, you know, different premise. This is about... Um, a teenage runaway who runs from a small town into Tokyo to kind of try to live on his own. He meets this girl who's also living on her own, and she's living with her younger brother, and she has the ability to manipulate the weather. Um, she can... It's a rain... It's been a record rain for months in Tokyo, and she's able to kind of conjure uh, sunshine in brief moments and in brief locales. And so they kind of... Um, these two kids, they kind of begin to try to monetize that they try to make a little business out of it um but of course her uh, ability is is tied to tragedy and tried to a loss and so um yeah it's it's for a lot of it it is very uh what same with your name i mean a lot of it i mean if people think of anime they think of really fanciful thing or big sprawling animation and there is that kind of toward the end of this but it's very kind of ground level character focused drama for a while and then it kind of integrates some of those uh, sci-fi fantasy elements. Um, it's really good. I don't know if it's as good as Your Name. Your, your Name, I, I would say, is a masterpiece. It's mm-hmm. amazing. I don't know if I've ever gotten you to watch that. Nope. I have no idea what you're talking about. I rented about. it, and then I bought the Blu-ray, but then I keep saying, like, we need to watch that, and then we don't ever watch There's it. so many things to watch. So we like should this. watch that. It's really good. It looks um, like this movie made some money. It did. It's a, Yeah, Your Name made a ton of money. This made a ton of money in Japan and overseas. It has not become, he's not become a crossover hit here. No, does not. But, it, I mean, it's not a genre that has really done well in this country anyway. Of course, the 
I mean, this this barely got released. This was, I mean, COVID didn't even factor into its poor performance here. It was in and out of small theaters in January. So, but it took forever to get on video here. Um, it just only really kind of became easily available a couple weeks ago. So, it's good. It's really good. If you liked your name, if I, I watch them both, I, I'd say. So that was Weathering With You, and you can currently watch that on... Uh, VOD, any kind of rental platform, you can find it. Find it on Blu-ray, stuff of this nature. Um, what else did I watch? Let's see. Oh, a couple of uh, Netflix things. One of them is called Dick Johnson is Dead. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched a lot of documentaries this year. Here's the thing about documentaries this year. Um, a lot of the ones that are supposedly very good are very much about um, unpleasant current things that I know enough about already that I'm, I'm already stressed out enough in this world. I don't need to hear about uh, how our democracy is broken or how uh, it's terrible to live in impoverished countries or how uh, COVID is terrible. Yeah, all that. I'm good. Like, I've got enough of that from my regular news feed. So I've been watching a lot about it. But Dick Johnson is dead. I'd heard some good things about this. This is from... Uh, Kristen Johnson, who made uh, kind of an experimental documentary called Camera Person. She was a really well-known cinematographer on other documentaries, and then she took a lot of her footage from those movies and put it into this kind of... She kind of strung a narrative, kind of, together of all of these different things that she had shot. And it's an interesting experiment um, to watch if you're into that sort of thing. I don't know if everybody's into that sort of thing. There you go. This is about her own father who is aging. Uh, he's in his 80s, and he's kind of slowly begin, begun to kind of ex- experience dementia symptoms. She had already lost her mom, her, uh, Dick Johnson's wife, to dementia about a decade prior. Aww, that's sad. Um, and so, uh, you know, she, she kind of starts as like, I, I can't imagine losing this person in my life. And so the experiment, he's a psychologist, so he kind of goes along with this idea and she stages these scenes of like him dying, like mm-hmm. so getting hit with an air conditioner above his head, or getting hit by a car, or accidentally getting his neck sliced by a, like a a beam, a construction beam. Um, so that's amusing. They even like stage like these heaven and hell sequences that are kind of um, so it's it's you know it's he stages their own funeral, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you got all that going on, and you get a little bit of the behind the scenes, and it's kind of amusing in a morbid kind of way, but. Um, God, what she able, is able to kind of capture in between all of that is quite powerful. Um, just anybody who's kind of experienced anything in their life that's had experienced dementia um, will connect with kind of what she's kind of looking at in the movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of incredible, some of the stuff that she kind of captures of just herself and also her dad in these really quiet moments in between all this nonsense. Um, I found it to be just kind of deeply moving. It was it was a really well-made um Film. It's on Netflix. You should. It's ninety minutes. Um, it's heavy, but I think some of that morbid humor works to kind of cut that a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's really good. I would even. You're not really. A, I wouldn't say you're necessarily a documentary person. But I think you would probably really enjoy it. So what? I love documentaries. I'm just saying you don't. I, I think you are like me in that you don't necessarily need to put a lot of like. Oh, our democracy is crumbling, and oh, you know, things being of this black nature. in America's terror. Yeah, you know, I yeah, you can only take so much of that. I think, especially right now in this world. So, you know, I feel like documentaries are facing a challenging time, not just because of the time, but just with technology to like tell a story that people haven't heard before or share information that is revealing. Like you've got a 
you've got to go places where we haven't been before. Well, we've built a culture, especially in this country, of like uh, the way our news works now is like bombshell after bombshell, a new revelation after new revelation. And so it feels like there's nothing new. It feels like, you know, it's easy to find the terrible. It feels like um, there's secret um, scandal in every corner. I think that's part of why Tiger King became such a phenomenon. One, it was at the height of everybody staying home, but mm-hmm. also it was just like, oh, there's a scandal at a, a tiger zoo. And it's like, okay, well, we haven't seen that before, have yeah. we? That hasn't come across <laughs> my news feed. Tell me more. And so, you know, yeah, this cult, this country especially has, we've, we've trained ourselves to not be surprised of terrible, of terrible things, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, th- you know, I think it's easier to tell those documentaries than it is to tell, um, kind of the uplifting ones, and those are harder. Um, so, and then, you know, there are just some people that never want to watch that. They want to watch a blockbuster, you know, and that's fine. It's totally fine, but it is what it is. And so, um, yeah, no, this is really, I, that's what I liked about Dick Johnson is dead. I, it, it's not. It, it's kind of touching on something that I think is very personal and can be, I think, probably very emotional to someone. Look, if you're experiencing someone with dementia right now, maybe not a great watch, but... Um, Which is probably most everybody. Yeah, you most know. Most everybody is touched by someone who is who's going down this path in their life right now. I, there's just, there's a humanity to it, and I think that the message is, is and, and what I think she's trying to reach for is that, okay, wh- this, he's, this is, he's dead, okay, so... Or let's pretend that he's dying or that he's dead. So what are the things that we need to say to each other or to do that is meaningful now? And why don't we celebrate that or do that rather than linger or fear the death that's coming? Sure. And so there's a there's a there's a there's a wave of positivity on that that I think is quite moving. Um Did it make you want to pick up the phone and call anyone? Well, I watched it kinda of late, so you know, I didn't want to do that, but See, that's the thing I feel like with these inspirational <laughs> documentaries. You're like, I'm so touched, and then I do nothing. I feel like, well, I feel like um, if it was like an appropriate time, sure. Like if it was like It's been a o'clock. whole day since you've watched the movie. Oh, yeah, you... I watched it like yesterday. Yeah, so, uh, it's gone. I got shit I gotta do. The inspiration is gone. I got shit I gotta do, okay? Oh, my God. Um, that's on Netflix. You should watch it. Now, the next thing on Netflix you watched with me, you weren't gonna watch it. Okay, so here's the thing. Yeah. For listeners, they probably already know this. If Tyler has something going mm-hmm. and I'm in the room, I'll sit down and watch it. Right. Now, but if you at- were to ask me, hey, Ange, do you want to watch this uh, movie that's based on a play from 1968? I'd be like, no. <laughs> right. So it's The Boys in the Band. Uh, this came out on Netflix last week, or, well, it doesn't matter. We're recording this, but, um, it, yeah, it's a remake of a 1968 play about... Um, it's a, a group of all uh, gay men, mm-hmm. uh, and they're just getting together for a party, and it's just kind of a play in one room. Mm-hmm. They made a film of it in 1970. William Friedkin directed it. There was a revival of this play in 2018 um, that is the same cast that's in this movie. Mm-hmm. So Jim Parsons of The Big Bang Theory, Zachary Quinto, Matt Bomer. And the notable thing here is that the entire uh, cast of the film is openly gay as actors, and so... Um, that's significant too, because I mean that's not um, not necessarily common. Um, it, it speaks to their experience with it, I guess, and it's a good angle to kind of approach it because it, here's the challenge, right? It's a, it's a te- the text has not changed. It is it is set in nineteen the 1960s and it was written in 1960s and they have not changed it. Yep. And so 
some of the ideas and some of the characterizations, I think, and it seems like that's the case, is that it's kind of lost, it had lost favor for a, a while, uh, in that it, it didn't feel like it was representative of the culture, right? Um, and then I think, you know, maybe maybe before this revival uh, in 2018, but it seems like it's gotten kind of a, a, a look, it's been re-examined and kind of in the context of when it was made, and there's an appreciation to it. And I think, you know, um, the characters are richly drawn. Um, you could maybe argue that who what they stand for or who they are is maybe not representative of anybody today, but um, they're well-defined characters, flaws and all, and so that's always kind of interesting in a drama, even if if it's especially... And, it, and it's important that it doesn't, like, update it. It's still set in the 60s, yep. and it wouldn't work if it didn't because... Yeah, these men are basically, you know, essentially hiding their lifestyle to the outside world for the most part. I mean, they can be themselves around each other, but it's kind of suggested that they're not. They can't be so much in um, at least they some can't, of them. It was illegal at the time, right? They can't. They can't be who they are in right. public, right? So, um, um, what I thought was interesting because you meant you said that you don't think that they're necessarily represent people today or those characters, but the special that we watched afterwards, right. the actors kind of talked about some of that where, you know, some of this is still going on where even in the industry, actors who, who mm-hmm. are gay kind of have to keep that to the side or, or go on dates with women to like create this certain reputation and image. And I think that's still something that despite being so much more progressive than we used to be in 1968, I think it's still something that well, a lot of people and I that and that's and all the more reason you know why we even bring up the fact that all the men in the movie this current movie are openly gay. We say that because it's very unusual mm-hmm. because right it is clearly not something that is helpful to a career necessarily. I think right. that everybody in that special afterwards and I think anybody who watches this movie whether they come down on the side of liking it or disliking it should watch that it's special, pretty pretty easily yeah. findable once you finish the movie um it just kind of provides context of the the time period in which it was written and then also what it meant to the filmmaker and also the cast right so and even as like an old millennial growing up in the 80s and 90s there was still a lot of the sentimentality that was there in 1968 like when one of the characters the surprise guest that shows up Mm -hmm. um is criticizing one of the characters for being too effeminate and i just can't stand that voice like i remember growing up and people being like why do gay people have to talk like that like they're like a lot of criticism and hatred and bigotry or a character that says you know well what what they do in private is okay i don't care what they do in private as long as they don't flaunt it or whatever which i feel like is a message that still gets uh, or or push their ways on me or make my you know turn people gay basically yeah so um you know and that i i think some of the the back the pushback has been in some of the language it's used cuz they use um slurs they do. toward each other um in a in a way that is like them kind of i don't know taking it back or using it you know but you know i think that that is maybe an issue obviously people and it should be i mean i i don't i think that's a fair criticism and that you maybe are just uncomfortable with those words and 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 totally valid cuz they're not great, they're not great words um the movie itself is, it's tough because it, it's a play, right? It's and it, definitely a play. And it feels like a play. It never really is able to shake its playness in that it, it's very talky and people are in a room yeah. and the way that people like exit a room and enter a room is very awkward. It's like s- 
set change. It doesn't. It, and it doesn't change. gel. And, and I wish that there was a way that if you filmed it as a, na- a film, that you could have changed it or updated you'd it in have a way to that rewrite it completely. A little. I mean, you'd have to change it a little bit, right? And I, I just I wonder. You know, there's there's a point, especially kind of it's like the shift from like Act One to Act Two, um, first half, second half, where a character does something. And then, like, the shit gets real, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's very awkward that, like, after this event happens that all these people are just still okay with being in the same room together. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very awkward transition. Um, the cast is mostly good. Jim Parsons is tough, right? So he's got this impossible thing of being Sheldon Cooper on The Big Bang Theory for all these years. And very successful. Won Emmys and went on forever, right? But I think because of that character, he always kind of starts baseline as as that character a little bit, and you ha- he has to kind of shake it a little bit when he does something. And then you have this character that, like, basically has a big shift once he starts drinking, mm-hmm. and <laughs> then he's got to go in a whole different direction. But it, I don't know, I it's i he has to do such so much of the heavy lifting in this um yeah, so much and it's and, so and, talky and maybe it's better on stage and it could be but he I, it's a struggle i mean cuz you have to he's fighting off this like typecast aspect of his of his acting but also i think he's kind of effective in a lot of the things that are kind of breaking away from what we typically think of like that Sheldon Cooper type um and i, I think he's a good a- i mean it's undeniable that he's not a good actor cuz he i mean he wouldn't win Emmys for the big. I mean, he wouldn't win that shit on the Big Bang Theory. He is a good no, he's. Actor. I mean, I think he is a good actor. I just think that it, it's a challenge in terms of. Well, number one, I think the character is really tough. Like, it's a tough character because it's like it's basically the protagonist who switches into the antagonist midway through, mm-hmm. and it's really jarring and it's tough, right? Zachary Quinto kind of appears late, um, but he is fun in in his role. I. It's mostly pretty well cast. It's just. It's tough. It, you just it feels like something that was written in 1968, and it is a stage show, and so it's a little bit of a mixed bag dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I that being of, said, I, I appreciated it. it. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked aspects of it. And I liked um, individual scenes. I'm just not sure if it like clicked together. Again, I thought that the documentary afterwards is very helpful in kind of um, connecting the piece yeah. into something other than once you accept that it's a play. Yeah. Then it's, I felt like I was able to enjoy it more. Cause it is, it is very, it's, it's got this like voyeuristic nature, right? You're sitting in the room with these characters. Right. And it, it amongst people you wouldn't be around. I mean, but it, I mean, it feels like a play in that, like more so than even like the stage film version of Hamilton on Disney Plus. This feels more like a play than the play that is just filmed. You know what I mean? Like it has a, and I've seen, uh, you know, so I've read some things where people kind of praise the direction. I was like, oh, they merely enlivened it. And I was just like, I don't know if it's really enlivened. I mean, I don't no. know what you can do other than, I, I, there's not much you can do, unfortunately. It's just, having it is not, what it is. Having not seen the play, it definitely just seems like they took the script. Right. <laughs> and you can't do that when you're going to, when you're going to purposely make something into a film. You have to make it for film. I mean, there's some interjections kind of toward the end of like footage, you know, flashback Visually, type stuff. but I don't feel like the script changed at all. No, it didn't. Not at all. So, um, I mean, it's worth, wa- I, I, it's definitely worth watching. I think it, the acting performances are. What I'll tell you performances is if you, are, if you turn it on. And you sit down, you're gonna finish it. Well, and you, yeah, you, I mean, you, <laughs> I think even the Jim Parsons switch of just like, you missed the part, you, you, you think you missed the first 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Um, you know, he makes a comment like, well, I haven't had a drink in 
I saw that, yeah. Okay, so it's just like, like... four months or something. If you miss that part, and then all of a sudden he turns into this raging asshole, you're just like, well, what's going on? He's like, oh, he hasn't drunk in several months. Got it. He's oh, a bad drunk. Got he's it. He's a mean drunk. And that's just really jarring. But at the same time, also not, because, I mean, there are there are moments of, like, the Sheldon... I didn't watch all of that show, but I've seen enough of it where that character can get pretty rough. Mm-hmm. You know, the com- the comedy aspect of it can get tough. So, anyway, The Boys in the Band it's on Netflix. Boys in the band. It's a new movie. Which they're not in a band, so the title's a little confusing. They're not in a band. It's nope. a little confusing. Not in a band at all. Okay. It's a birthday party. And then the last thing we watched together, we'll talk about it now because it leads right into wow. our main topic. We turned on, you alluded to this, the 2019, last year's animated The Addams Family. It's on Hulu. It's on Amazon Prime. It's fair for you to watch. But should you? No. Well, it depends. Uh-huh. If you're Tyler and you're a little bit sleepy, maybe yeah. you want something to lullaby you into a nice little nap, I had a turn nice, that little shit on. I had some dinner. I had a nice beer. Yep. And then I got a little sleepy during this movie because you it was not good. literally fell asleep on the couch. You don't do this often. Mm-mm. You don't fall asleep during movies. It was That's like 7 o'clock. Do. It wasn't even late. No. Because the kids were watching it. You're fucking snoring. Yeah. That was pretty great. It's not good. And it, it is not good in a, in a way that a lot of these animated... I think our kids thought it was fine. And they enjoyed it well enough. But their standards seem really low. Their standards are very low. So, you know, who cares what they think? But yeah. um Yeah, it's just it it is especially since we watched it after we had already watched these two nineties live action movies, it just seems so neutered. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like any it doesn't take advantage of if its premise or its world in really any way. It is bare bones Kitty Adams family with no edge, a, a forgettable plot that just feels like every other animated movie. Um, it's got Oscar Isaac and Charlie's Ther- Throne and you know, a cast of all, but it just, all of it doesn't, none of it, they're not memorable in it. Um, yeah, no, I, the animation style I thought was kind of garish in a lot of ways that aren't good. Um, I really did not like it, and then I fell asleep, and then I woke up for the last 40 minutes of it, and I really did continue to not like it. Yeah, it was pretty boring. Yeah, so... The voices didn't fit all the characters either. That was weird. Uncle Fester, I think, is like Nick Kroll. Ugh, no. That was not right. Not a good choice. Um, the great Allison Janney is like the sort of villain, but like, ugh, it's such a terrible villain. Like, yeah. Then again, you know, as we'll talk about, Adam's Family franchise doesn't ex- isn't exactly known for like amazing plot. So... <laughs> this is a fact. So anyway, I don't know, there's not much to say other than it's not very good, and you're better off watching uh, these 90s movies. Maybe the, well, do you think our kids could handle? We should talk about that toward the end. Could our kids handle and enjoy the live-action 90s Adam's Family movies? Uh, no. Okay. Okay, one, there's a a live-action hand running around that they were freaked out about in the cartoon version. Okay. (laughs) Two... There's a lot of attempted murder by the children on each other. Yeah, there is. I I don't need to play any of those. I, it was already a little bit in the cartoon, but it's like, well, this is a cartoon, mm-hmm. so it's different. I don't need... No. no you're talking about no. the best parts of those movies. <laughs> when the kids are trying to murder each other. Yeah, your favorite parts. It is. I've always been a fan of <laughs> on-screen violence against Well, I'll children. tell you what I'm a fan of, of the original two movies, is uh, Christina Ricci. My God, she is the star of both. She's so little in the She's first so one. little, but just delightful. Okay, so before we jump into The Addams Family, which came out in 1991. Yeah. 
Let's do what we remember. Then we'll do some high stats. Okay. So, Tyler, what do you remember about the Adams family? I will go first. Okay. Since you will probably have the plot down to a T. Right. Uh, what do you remember? Honestly, I don't remember the plot at all. I remember the characters and a few scenes pop into mind, but clearly the plot is forgettable, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's something about like a fake brother and it's frustrating how the main guy believes him or something. Fun characters, but a stupid plot. But that's what I remember. Okay. That's what I wrote. I said, and I wrote two, I wrote another one for Adam's Family Values, but I think we might end up talking about these concurrently. I didn't write one for Adam's Family Values. Yeah. Well, because I have a, I mean, anyway, we'll get to that. I wrote, it's the creepy, kooky, ghoulish family on the big screen. Raul Julia and Angelica Houston crushing it. Christopher Lloyd is Uncle Fester, but the premise here is that he's a man claiming to be long lost Uncle Fester, but his mother is just trying to take possession of the home and a treasure hidden in the house. Of course, he really is long lost Uncle Fester. I remember enjoying this movie back in the day, but definitely saw and liked the sequel more, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about. Okay, high stats on, well, yeah, Adam's Family. I know that Adam's Family Values did not perform nearly as well as the original film. The Adam's Family came out in Nove- on November 22nd, 1991. Thus, the opening scene, which is a Christmas scene, and the only Christmas scene in the movie. Yeah, that was confusing. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? Right. It was directed by Barry Sonnenfeld. Of Men in Black fame. Written, and Wild Wild West fame, let's not forget. Written by uh, the by Charles Adams for the characters. And he then was, Caroline Thompson. Okay. He is what? No, he's an Adams. Yeah, literally, <laughs> that's his last name. That's what it says. Based on the television show back in the heyday. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I don't know if he wrote that. I'm just providing as context. Probably. Yep. Okay. What else do you want to know? I want to hear, it was released date November 22nd. Thanksgiving release is what you're telling me. Yes. Rated uh, PG-13. Opened against, like, I want to say, like, Hook. Ooh. And actually ended up doing better than Hook, maybe? What? Yeah, right? I mean, it was the this was like a big hit in 1991. Clocks in at a sweet hour and 39 minutes. Yep. It was budgeted for $30 million. Mm-hmm. It made almost that in its opening weekend. Yeah, it was a... Holy shit, that's a lot. It was a big hit. And a lot of that money... Thanksgiving weekend, right? And a lot of that money went... The budget money went into the production design, which is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, both of these movies have great production design. The house, um, costuming, all that stuff is really it good. grossed in the U.S. $113 million and worldwide $191 million. That's great. Um, that's a lot of fucking money for Raul Julia as uh, Gomez. Angelica Houston as Morticia. We have... Uh, ooh, we got a little bit confused oh. here uh, with, well, Christopher Lloyd is Uncle Fester. Uh-huh. Then you were very adamant that the grandma I wasn't Adams. Adamant. No, but you were. I mean, but your uh, your assumption was correct because in the original film, Grandma Adams, Grandma Ma is played by. Uh, I wrote Judith it down. Judith Molina. She, you remarked, she's like, that's the lady from Unbreakable. Kimmy I was like, Schmidt. is that the lady from? It sounds just like her. She's got the same hair. It's Carol Kane, and sure enough, Carol Kane would play the part. I think Judith Molina died. She played the part with makeup because uh, in the sequel, Adam's Family Values. And Carol Kane looks like that now, but see, it was made in 93, yeah. so she was wearing makeup. But yes, indeed, that was... Uh, so they picked... She was a good choice of uh, Clearly. reprising the role. Yeah, it's funny that I thought the first one was her, but yeah. she ended up being in the second one. Yeah, it's That's funny. because it, And then, I mean, it's very obvious it's her in the second one, but... Um, but I feel like she purposely sounded like the lady in the first one and now sounds like that in real life in <laughs> well she does yeah and grandmama is got some of the some of the best lines across the two movies anyway so um yeah no 
Uh, we also have Dan Hedaya's in the original movie as kind of the lawyer for the Adams, kind of a sniveling lawyer. Christina Ricci. Christina Ricci is Wednesday Adams. Pugsley is played by a guy I don't know. Jimmy Workman. Uh, that sounds right. Christopher Hart plays Thing. The Hand, yes. John and, Franklin plays Cousin It. Yeah, we'll talk about Cousin It. Yeah, okay. That's probably good for High Stats, right? High Stats, brought to you by me. So, I, you know, I think these are two movies that I uh, enjoyed as a young person. Mm-hmm. And so I know them pretty well. And watching them this time, I think it's very evident from the start of Adam's Family, the first one, 1991, is that there's a lot of things going right here. Really good casting of everybody, for the most part. Okay. Uh, great production design. The house looks great. The costumes, it's all spot on, right? Not a great plot in this first movie. It's kind of frustrating, and it kind of drags on. Even for an hour and 39, 39 minutes... It's just a chore to kind of get through. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree with that. It, because here's the problem. Uh, we all, <laughs> from the get-go, when we see Christopher Lloyd with the hair, with this mom, they're trying to con their way into with getting in the weird, family. dark eyes. Like, he's obviously Uncle Fester. The movie wants you to know that he really is Uncle Fester, right? And yet we have to play this game where, oh, they're pretending that he's Uncle Fester, but then he's going to be really Uncle Fester. And it's just like, no, no. It's a it's a frustrating plot to kind of ride for an hour when you when we all know where it's going and there's no real tension to it. Yeah, I think movies like this that have really um, notable characters mm-hmm. struggle to like come up with something to give the characters to do because they themselves are the story. So then right. they're like, oh, we got to give. There's got to be something. And it's a problem because you know this is a sitcom, and so every you know a sitcom is you know the the conflict in an individual episode is just like a small conflict that has yeah. to be resolved. Nothing well, this is a movie. For a movie, it's supposed to be a big overarching story. So what's the story? Oh well, Uncle Fester's been missing for years, and they had a falling out with Gomez, and so we have to go through all of that. And I don't know. I, it's I I think they even they must have known this because in the sequel. The main plot of the sequel, which I think is far more effective, is that Joan Cusack is a nanny who's really a murderer who's trying to take Uncle Fester's money and kill him because Mm -hmm. she's a murderer, right? Mm -hmm. The thing about that is, is that almost from the beginning, when we're introduced to her, she's watching a television show with Peter Graves hosting where she's watching herself and being like, yep, that's what I'm going to do. And so we know what what she's going to do from the spot. There's no pretending of this. The other characters don't know. But we're in on it, and it's different than this Adam's family, because I think the first movie, they're trying to make you think, like, well, maybe he's not Uncle Fester. But we, but it is. Like, there's a more... Um, you seem really frustrated by that. No, it's just, it's more direct. <laughs> like, we're, it's it's a very deliberate, like, having Joan Cusack be a murderer is a very, it's it's known, it, it's supposed to be known, you're supposed to know that, you as an audience member are supposed to be in on what she's doing, whereas... Uncle Fester in the first movie is part of a convoluted plan where he doesn't know, and it's just, it doesn't work. It's a very subtle difference, but I think it's an important change. Mm-hmm. It also helps to have a real villain in the second movie. Yeah, who's the villain in, in the first movie? The mom of Uncle Fester, and it's not effective. And Dan no. Hedaya, who's kind of a jerk lawyer, sniveling jerk. Although I will say, what I do like about um, both of the movies... And well, and especially in Adam's Family Values, and I've given away that the fact that I just find Adam's Family Values to be a far better movie. 
But what I especially love about Adam's Family Values is that the family... The thing is, is that she's the... Joan Cusack as this nanny is the murderous villain. But, I mean, if she was up front with them about it, she would probably welcome, be very welcomed into this family. They like this kind of crazy, murderous shit, right? Yeah. And even to the point where at the end of the movie, where she's, like, raging on about her terrible life and all this happened, they're, like, they're all strapped to electric chairs and they're going to be seemingly killed by her. They're all very sympathetic to her. Like, oh, no, you're totally right. Like, and I I love that. I love that they are just like, no, we kind of like her. (laughs) Like, and they, you have a feeling that, yeah, they're going to bury her and she's going to have a a plot in the house and then she's going to be kind of respected as an Adams because mm-hmm. yeah okay she was just as ghoulish as the rest of us I suppose and I think that's kind of a nice and interesting and a fun angle to do it um, yeah I know we're bouncing around but let me ask you about something that goes across both of these movies because there's a lot of there's a mix of things going on here comedically mm-hmm. it is a comedy of, of morbid uh, gallows humor mm-hmm. right where the kids are trying to harm themselves I think it's more apparent in the second movie, and I think funnier in the second movie, the way that they are trying to constantly kill this baby. <laughs> um, but there's, in addition to that, this morbid, like, death humor, there's a lot of slapstick across both movies, and I was curious how that played for you well, later on. I don't like slapstick. It's very cartoonish, right? It just, I, it doesn't, like, do it for me. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. In any form, I mean, it just doesn't. Fast throwing knives, hyper speed. People flipping around. I just find it fucking stupid. Both movies and have a dance sequence. The first one has a sequence where Gomez and Fester do a dance at the party for Fester. In the sequel, it's almost like a needless scene where Gomez and Morticia have a salsa dance at a restaurant. And it's very, like, sped up. She's spinning really fast. Things of this nature. It's more... Honestly, there's more cartoonish things in these movies than there is in the cartoon version of The Addams Family, the one that we just watched. Which is weird. (laughs) I'm almost more interested in an Addams Family version that isn't, like, a straight-up slapstick comedy. And it... But it's it's strange because it's only in spurts. It kind of comes and goes. So inconsistent. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's partly, like, it was clearly aiming to be kind of a movie that people could take their kids to, but Ugh. also, like, the, the ones that adults would enjoy a little bit, kind of older kids kind of enjoy the slapstick. So, yeah, it's a weird, a weird tone. And the other thing that I don't love is, I I just don't care about, like, thing. <laughs> like, as a, I, it's fine as a character, as, like, having this hand that's like a pet, I guess, or a, a person, kind of, I don't know. But, like, the first movie especially, there's just, like, a lot of scenes of, like, look look what we did. We, like, we're able to make this look effect. Look at our technology. And and in the sequel, it's really annoying. It's, like, he gets a roller skate, and it's, like, look how much better the technology is in this movie. Look it. You can't tell. Yeah. It's on a green screen. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Like, it, that stuff, it looks pretty good still, for the most part. It looks like, yeah, that's a hand running around the the house. Great. Um. I could just not give a shit. So I don't care. About so that much, stuff. so many minutes dedicated to it. Stupid. Right. Um, what do you think about the Raul Julian Angelica Houston? What do you think? Why are you saying it like that? I feel like I've been asking, talking. You're a bunch. doing all. Oh, okay. Yeah, you want me to talk a little bit? Well, yeah. Okay. I don't like these movies. Oh, you don't? No. You don't like the I sequel? Don't, I don't really ever need to watch uh, them ever again. I don't know about you. Now, the sequel's uh, quite good. I think they're good. Scenes and definitely the sequels um, a million times better than the first one. Yeah, and part of that is because I love uh, what's your name, 
Well, Christina Ricci is nope. like this, huh? I oh, love, Joan Cusack. I love Joan she's Cusack. She's great in it. And, I think, and it's yeah. weird because it's like she's young and she's playing this like villainy, homicidal, crazy, but she's also kind of like a hot chick. But she's like, she's, she's got like blonde hair and she's like young looking and. Oh, Joan Cusack. Yeah, Joan Cusack. I got confused. I thought you were talking about Christina Ricci again. I was like, she's a no. hot chick? What are you talking Keep about? Up. Okay, yeah. No, it is not a part that she, I don't think has really, I'd have to really double back on my Joan Cusack knowledge, but is there a part that's ever even like this, the rest of her filmography? I don't think so. And she's kind of great in it. <laughs> she's great in everything. I just love her. But it's not so like kooky. the type of she is like a little bit of a it's like a sex pot character. Yeah, but it's still like but it's with still a Joan Cusack. Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm. So it's like yeah, the way she, she like I think the the most uh, I the, the the best scene that this can captured is when she, like thing jumps on her shoulder mm-hmm. and she begins to suck on his finger, yeah. which is deranged and weird. Yeah, and it's very Joan Cusack weird, but also kind of sexy. And you're just like, what is going on in this movie? Like the, the how how are you pulling this off? Oh, I see why you liked it. Yeah. You had the hots for uh, hottie Joan Cusack. Uh, I mean, I don't think... You were 10? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You're 10 years old, and you're like, hey... You know what I remember about Adam's Family Values more than anything? What do you remember? I was supposed to do that part That's earlier. That's right. On HBO, when this debuted... Were you and your fancy HBO? They would show... <laughs> Like, it's like a 10 second, they would often do these little 10 second promos of like Adam Sammy Values coming up at 8 or debuting yeah. Saturday. And the part that they would keep showing would be like, brief shot of the baby, brief shot of Gomez and Morticia spinning around. And then it would be like, the macho man where Joan Cusack is at the bar with the sailors where Tony Shalhoub shows up briefly. Yeah, monk. Um, and she's like dancing slightly to the beat of like the macho man. And they show that like every time. Weird. <laughs> I was like, why is that the clip for Adam's family? Values? Oh man. I wish we could talk to the people who put those clips together. And like, were they paying for macho man every time that they played it? Cause it's like, you know, it's part of the movie. So they're allowed to do the promo. But why is that in the promo? It's very strange. Yeah. Um, anyway, I know we're bouncing all over the place, but you don't, you don't. So. What is it that you don't like other than the slapstick? I mean, I know that that's troubling. I don't know. It's like it doesn't know what it wants to be. A little bit. I think the second one definitely knows a lot more what it wants to be. Um, the kids trying to kill each other are some of your favorite stuff, and I, I don't... Maybe now, especially now as a parent, I'm just like, Ugh. It's a... Well, I mean, it's, it's... It's intended to be comedic, and I think it is pulled off to be comedic. I mean, you're not... If they're the they're the Adams. There's no way the baby's going to get killed because the baby. I know can that. the Adams get but killed? I have a memory of watching this and being horrified that that little baby's head was going to get chopped off in the in the guillotine. No, scene. he caught it because he's able I to know. catch things. Do you know what? It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good. little tiny, cute, adorable baby. The first movie has the best the line. Maybe the one of the best line delivery is like, "What kids? What are you playing?" And they're like, he, "She's locking him up on the electric chair." And it's like, or she she's asking, "What's the game called?" And it's like, "It's called Is there." God. God, and she's like totally serious, dead face. And I think it's the sequel where I just there's so many moments I just really love is just like uh, Christina Re- or I think it's Pugsley's walking by with a knife and Morticia stops. Is like, what are you no, doing? No, it's Christina. Re- he's like, what do you it's have Wednesday. there? And he's like, is that for your brother? She's like, I don't think so. And then she like makes her take it away, but then she gives him like, she like, gives him she, a much larger she gives knife. Wednesday, a huge axe. That's fantastic. Um. There's this the gag in the sequel where they're just like, are you are you guys confused? Like once there's a new baby, that like, one of you has to die, and then the grandma's like, that's just not true, not anymore. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> See, 
I think that like you you have this humor and you're just like that's funny. It is funny. funny. Is is that that funny? And then so uh, what I'm all see I'm all about Adam's family values because one I think the Joan Cusack arc works really well and I like all the stuff where she's getting really frustrated with not being able to kill Uncle Fester Mm -hmm. when she's trying to and all that I like all that stuff too, but um. The whole arc of the kids, because she's responsible for sending the... Because Wednesday's onto her a little bit. She knows that there's something wrong with her. She's not really into Uncle Fester, just into his money or whatever. She's the one who gets him sent away to the camp. So not only do we get this great shit with the two kids who are trying to kill the baby off, and they're feeling there's a sibling rivalry, so then they get to go to this uh, sleepaway camp, which I think is just some of the best stuff. And it's the reason why, like, say, the Brady Bunch movie, the first one, works so well. It's like... The Brady's, but like in the real world. <laughs> so I like that. And this is not quite that because it's, it's the Adams family in a real world that's like the idealized, like sugar-corded horseshit world. Mm-hmm. So it's not a real world, but it's such a dynamic change from, and you got a little bit of that in the first movie in that they do a, that, I mean, maybe another standout scene of the original is when they go to the school play and Pugsley and Wednesday are doing a, a Shakespeare scene and they, um, they have blood splurts. Uh, that was actually pretty good. And they just spray the entire audience with blood everywhere. I mean, yeah. it's just fantastic. That was a really good payoff. Or right before that, when uh, Wednesday is the teacher, Wednesday's teacher is talking about, oh, we did like these great. Uh, they chose America. They chose heroes of, of their life, and this person chose the president, George Bush, and and Wednesday chose like a their their great aunt from like the Salem witch trials <laughs> was burned at the stake. A picture of her burning at the stake. Yeah, amazing. Um, so I just see, I like all that. See, good scenes. Yeah, not good movie. No, I well, no, I would say that the, the the plot of the first one kind of hinders it a little bit, and then I think if you don't like the slapstick, there's enough of that in both movies where you're just like, what are we doing with this weird slapstick stuff? Okay, to answer your question, mm-hmm. I don't love the Angelica Houston and. You don't like any of that. Mm. Um, I think that Raul Julia and Angelica Houston have good chemistry together. I think that there is heat that there's supposed to be, right, for the characters. Um, it's a little much. It's a lot of that over two movies. And I think the, bo- the movie does this twice. It, the first movie does it and the second movie does it, where Gomez becomes despondent because of Uncle Fester's, his relationship with Uncle Fester, and he becomes despondent. And he becomes, like, he re- withdraws and... It's it's a little annoying, and it it, it kind of doesn't cater to his strength as an actor. But I I like um, I don't know I just like the energy that they have. I like that there's not a shot of Angelica Houston that's not like lit like she's Elvira or like a ghoulish uh, <laughs> sex ghoulish, uh, ghoulish monster. You know, she's just always got the glow on her uh, her yeah. eyes, and I don't know. I like all that. And I think she's got good delivery of all this morbid shit. Um, I don't know, and it's also just like. As 90s kids, like Raul Julia, we all, I mean, as kids, we knew that Raul Julia died after he made, like, Street Fighter, but... As kids, we didn't. Yeah, we did. did. No, we did. I feel like, and so there's a little bit of tinge of, like, oh, that's an actor that we know from this thing, and he's no longer in movies I don't remember that. Well, I don't know. To me, that was, like, something, and so I always just kind of have a fondness for Raul Julia in the Adam's Family movies, because, like... Yeah, now I can't criticize him, because now he just made me feel bad. Yeah, I made you feel bad. Yeah, you did. Now you, now you. He did uh, such a great job in these movies, <laughs> and I think it, he was he was pretty sick during the the second yeah, movie that's filming. Really sad. Now I feel like I'm going to go cry. He right. was like super sick with like pancreatic cancer. And then can you imagine like right after that he went and shot Street Fighter where he was on his deathbed and he shot that. I mean that <laughs> we've talked about the movie in a previous episode. It's a turd of a movie, but kind of funny. Um, yeah, but I think actors who are hiding illnesses and still 
doing their thing. It's uh, sad. It's tough, and you bring that up now because, of course, we've lost Chadwick Boseman this year, uh, the Black Panther, and basically nobody knew that he was sick. Um, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, but yeah, Christopher Lloyd. We've talked about Christopher Lloyd in a lot of movies. Not not Back to the Future. We've not done a Back to the Future episode. I Back hate the Fester character. I you hate Christopher like Lloyd in this movie. It's just fucking annoying. You don't like him? No. He's good in the part, I think. Now that you're talking about, like, uh, Angelica Houston, I actually like her. I hate Fester, though. Well, it's a problem in the first movie because he's not... He's Fester, but he's not Fester. And so, he's annoying in the second one. He's like... He's got, like, brain damage. I don't know. What do you mean he's got brain damage? I mean, he doesn't act like a normal person. Like, not well, even not a little to. bit. he's not supposed to. His name is Uncle Fester. I don't fucking like it. I don't <laughs> dig it at all. He The way he, like, fawns after... What's your name? Joan Cusack. The way he falls in love with her. Oh, oh he, he's very timid. He can't speak to her. Um, he, he courts her by... Uh, when they're doing their salsa dance, Gomez and Morticia, he sticks a giant bread sticks in his nose it's just too it's too much i can't i just fucking can't but i do like the idea i guess of her pretending like she's into it Mm -hmm. so i mean i guess that plays a little it plays into this great joan uh, cusack performance right yeah it's hard for me to talk about um the first movie because i just want to talk about the second movie because i think it's just i think it's a better version of that first movie um one i think the the morbid humor hits a little harder. There's a little bit less of the slapstick. It kind of stops after, um, well, I take that back, the stupid climax. I don't like the climax with the baby, like, rolling through the house and, like, stopping the electric chair. I mean, that's just kind of ridiculous. Because the movie stops with that shit after the dance. The dance is okay, except for a couple shots. But, um, yeah, the baby thing at the end's not great. Um, but it has less of that. But then my favorite thing in all of these movies is when uh, Pugsley and Wednesday go to camp. Um, which I just find uh, delightful in every respect. You get David, little David Crumholtz, only a year before he was the head elf in the Santa Claus. I just, I can't believe you but on he, that. He looks young, long, young. He looks so much younger, though. It's like clearly it was there was a gap in the film. Yeah, he looks like he's eight years old in this, and yeah. he looks like he's seventeen. Seventeen in the next one. I know it's very strange. Like, how? What happened? I know that's a little crazy. I, I, I still don't believe you. Um, but then you also get Christine Baranski and Peter McNichol as these camp counselors. And oh my god. Um, they're just so over the top and chipper. But also just like... I mean, it, the movie makes it very clear that these people are terrible. And they're racist. And they're like horrible. Peter McNichol, his character, has written this play about the first Thanksgiving. And I mean, they, they've cast the pretty... The popular girls. Including the girl... So... There's a weird uh, return character from one to two in that there's a brief scene in the first one where Pugsley and Wednesday are selling lemonade after the at the motel that they've after they've been kicked out of the house and a Girl Scout kind of a rude little Girl Scout comes up and asks them for the lemonade right she's like is it made from real lemons yeah and they show they're like Wednesday's like yeah but then in the girls like then you have to buy some of my delicious Girl Scout cookies and Wednesday says is it made from real Girl Scouts yeah it's good stuff. Um, <laughs> So that girl gets to be a named character. Um, I think Amanda. She's at the camp. I don't think it's necessarily insinuated that she's the same girl. Maybe it is. Doesn't matter. Probably. They, it's the same. They live same in the age. same place. Yeah. So, and she's like a rich girl, and they're just, uh, uh, you know, mean to Pugsley and and Wednesday. And so the popular kids are the uh, are the the uh, pilgrims, pilgrims of the play, and then they've made Wednesday. 
Sacagawea. They've made all the other kids, like the kid in the wheelchair, <laughs> the black kid, the Hispanic kid. They're all like the... Any of the quiet, shy kids, the nerdy They've kids. made them the Indians, and then on top of that, the, the the play is super condescending about like how primitive they are and all this other stuff, right? So um, all this other stuff is... I mean, I, I love the setup of all this because they get locked into a, 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 ca- a, a cabin where they have to watch... Uh, the Sound of Music and David Crumholz is like, but it's Disney and all this other stuff. There's just a lot of the good stuff there. But then, like, the payoff of all this is just that um, Wednesday has started a ruse toward the end of this where she smiles and, like, makes a thing like she's going like, to participate. Yes, I have learned. Thank you. And then they essentially, when it's supposed to be for the, the sit down at the first Thanksgiving. With sh- all the parents there to watch this play. Except for the Adams, curiously. The Adams family, her parents, their parents don't go to this performance, which is odd. They probably weren't invited. No, they purposely didn't tell them that they were going to do this, right? Yep. Although they've been so proud of them. Because um, they were so no, proud of them when they like blew the blood all over the place. counselors did not invite like, them. Please don't invite that family, right? Yeah. So then she, uh, she says, wait, we can't break bread if you've stolen our land. You've taken everything, and in years from now, you'll put us on reservations and blah, blah, blah. And so they set fire to the set. And They're they, shooting real arrows at everybody. Scream, like, we're going to scalp We're going to scalp you. They tie Amanda to a stake, and they seemingly are going to burn her alive. And then, like, the, the, the Adams Family little thing comes on when she, Wednesday lights the match. Oh, it's the fucking best. Um, and you think she's going to do it? it? I think we do see Amanda later. They have not burned her alive. I wish the Bummer. movie even, like, doubled down and just let them murder them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I would have enjoyed that, but God, it's you so good. Would. You would. Well, because if you're going to go there, I mean, the joke is that she does it, right? She lights the match, right? And she's going to put the match in. And you see exp- when they're, when she says goodbye and kisses David Crumble at the fence, Crumble's at the fence, you can see explosions in the background. Yeah. Like it's gone. It's gone to hell. Yeah. I just love that. It's, um, just, an, I just love that payoff. And it is the reason why I mentioned HBO. Like, I watched the Adam's Family Values a lot, because I just, that sequence was my jam back in the 1993, man. Well, what it really speaks to is your rebel nature. Mm -hmm. And you are one to, like, not roll with the cool kids to be like, fuck those guys, and to find a way to fuck over authority. I'm not gothy. (laughs) You're not gothy, but it definitely, it speaks to your rebel nature. I like it. But I I just, I think, Christina Ricci, both these movies, she's so good. Like, she is the the star of the whole thing, because she's able to just kind of nail the the morbid deadpan and it's something that's completely lacking in that animated movie by the way it's like holy grace moretz who's a good actress but my god like there's nothing to it i mean it's just nothing um yeah i mean christina ricci has basically she has a career because of these two movies as a kid yeah she can deliver a spooky line with a really serious face but it's i mean it's just so funny i think all the all the best comedic stuff in the movies, both movies are hers. And it's partly because of her delivery. So so this is the movies where you fell in love with Christina. Ricci. I like Christina Ricci in general, but I think, I don't know if she's, has she ever been better than, than she was in the Alice family? I don't know. I don't oh, know. Because it's such a great, they're, I think they're just great performances. Let's have a little tea time with Tyler, Tyler. Okay. Well, I don't have any tea because you didn't get me any. Oh. Got any I got you tea. Well, got some warm beer down here. It's not warm, it's chilly down here. Christina Ricci. Name some movies that Christina Ricci has been in. Go. She has been in Prozac Nation. She has That's been in specific. Sleepy Hollow. If she you don't get the movie I'm thinking about, I'm going to hit you in the face. Speed Racer. She has been in nope. Now and Then. Nope. She has you been in... You've got three more guesses to guess the movie that you better name, or I'm going to punch you in the face on this podcast. Three guesses. She has been in... Uh, um... 
TikTok. What? Now you're making me freak out. Uh, you're fucking this up, Tyler. She was been in a movie called like in uh, what was that thing called? No, From Hell. That's Johnny Depp again. Did she make two movies with Johnny Depp where she was in, in From Hell and Sleepy Hollow? Is that a Keep fact? Keep trying. You've got two guesses left. That Christina Ricci's in? Oh, Casper. There you go. Yeah, she was still. That's kind of. She was young still in that. Yeah, 1995, just two years after this one. Yep. Casper, the friendly ghost. Uh, she was in like movie. that. She just recently did a, a TV, like an Amazon show about um, Ella. Not Ella Fitzgerald. Is it Ella? No. Um, F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald's wife. Oh, man, what's the name? You're also forgetting another one that I love her in. Which one is that? That also has Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, Black Snake Moan. I like her in that, too. Yeah, that's um, good. 2006. Yeah, so what else is she in? She's in a ton of things. Yeah. Good for her. Zelda Fitzgerald. I, think that's, I don't know if the show was called Zelda or not, but it was. It was she played Zelda Fitzgerald. She was on... Uh, uh, she had a like a, a seasonish arc on uh, Alan McBeal where she reunited with Peter McNichol, and I think hey. she played like a love interest of Peter McNichol, oddly in the part of that run. She was on The Good Wife. Did you see that episode? Um, yes, I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, Christina Ricci. Okay, that's all I got for you. Okay, Casper. We yeah. got to do that movie. That's did a, we already do it? No, I don't okay. think we did Casper. Are you yeah. sure? That's the movie where a uh, little child like Casper, the animated ghost, turns into like a 15-year-old teenager. Who she wants to bang. It's, it's very so strange. Weird. And I can't wait to watch it because I love that movie. Do you? But I don't love all the other ghosts. I think oh, yeah. I just had a crush on Casper becoming the the young 1995. The movie's also got a little secret weapon called Bill Pullman, who's yeah. great. Yeah, he in is great. In most things. And also Christina Ricci. She's good in it, sure. Um, yeah, so I, I'm a little disappointed that you didn't find enough of Adam's Family Values to be better to make you, uh, appreciate the, both of them more. Mm. Mm. It's definitely a product of the 90s. I mean, it, it, it like, it, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's kind of this, like, blockbuster that was, like, modestly budgeted, but they put it all into the set design, and it, it, it's just, like, this old TV show, and we did a lot of that. One thing that's very 90s about all of this, of course, is the end credit songs. <laughs> in 1991, you have MC Hammer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already had already forgotten that. We do what you want to do, say what you want to say, live how we want to live, dance how we wow. want to dance, play how we want to play. The Adams Family. And it's, it's triggered beforehand by Cousin It appearing in his tiny car playing MC Hammer um, in the in this little tiny car, which we didn't talk about Cousin It, which we Yeah, should. how do you feel about Cousin It? I'm all about Cousin It. I am a fan of uh, characters where they uh, speak nonsense, but other characters understand them. So a great example of this is Cousin It. Also, uh, Beaker from The Muppets, <laughs> where he just goes, me, 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 yep. Or the Swedish chef to some extent a little bit, although you can make out a lot of what the Swedish chef can say. So I love Cousin It. Um... I wish he was... Well, you know, I say he wish he was in more, but honestly, he's probably in just the perfect amount, right? Um, he comes in and swipes Dan Hedaya's wife away from him at the end of that first movie, which I appreciate. I like how she comes back, by the way, in the second one with a... They have a little baby, um, which they named what? 
Pubert. No, no, Pubert is the baby that the Adams family have. Oh, cousin I can't it's remember. cousin it's new baby is what? Oh, that's right. What? And of course, uh, Dan Hedaya. You were asking. I totally forgot. The actress who plays the white. I can't remember her. She's very familiar. Yeah. Um, they have a kid at the at the pageant in the first movie, but then she has left that family behind because it's it's suggested that Dan Hedaya and the mom in that movie are thrown into a. Uh, They're dead. They get thrown into. They get buried alive, essentially, yep. in. Um, then murdered. Yeah, so, although they wake the dead at the end of that movie, so I suppose they could wake them as well. And, of course, at the end of Adam's Family Values, David Krumholtz, poor David Krumholtz, gets uh, attacked by uh, Joan Cusack's hand coming out of her grave, so maybe none of them are dead, see? I don't even remember that. I don't that. think you can kill them. See, I don't know why you can't approach these movies. But anyway, what I was saying is that the MC Hammer song is um very 1991 mm-hmm. <laughs> the sequel song is another like rap song it's it is far worse in my opinion than uh the mc hammer version i don't know who does that second one it's not as good uh and then in the course of the 2019 movie i was very worried because in the cast it lists uh cousin it as played by snoop dog and he's introduced uh in that animated movie briefly where he's driving a car and he's they're playing uh, a Snoop Dogg song, mm-hmm. uh, a very odd. St- I mean, it's it's an iconic Snoop Dogg song that it has his name in it, but it also has like the line, like it it's slightly blurred, like it slurs out the line where he's like, "If a bitch got an attitude, pop it like it's hot, pop it like it's hot." Like maybe not to put that in a kids movie. Um, <laughs> they slur over the bitch part, but still weird. Uh, but then cousin it still talks with a high pitched. Um, voice so it the joke is maybe that snoop dog did record it but then they obviously modified it so mm-hmm. i was relieved at least that it did not just sound like uh, snoop dog that would have been annoying that's true because cousin it is all about that high-pitched nonsense like that's beaker true. So, so i'm a fan i'm all about that i i give me more of that give me more of these weird family members the the other cousin who's got like the hunch and that weird hair on the top i like all that stuff i like the the conjoined twins who are into uncle fester in the first movie floor and fauna yeah, give me all this ghoulish uh, nonsense. What do you think Roger Ebert thought of these movies? In our segment called, What Would Roger Say? Say. I have a feeling that he may have liked both of them, but liked the second one more. Guesses on how many stars out of four he gave the first one? I want to say, like, maybe he gave it two and a half stars. He and maybe he gave three stars to the sequel he gave it two and then he gave it three to the sequel yeah i think that's right i think that's so, that's i mean i maybe i maybe go two and a half stars on the first one and i go three three stars on the second i'm one. too tired to read what he said right but i have two options for you okay and i'll we'll end up only sharing like a 30 second clip of uh one of these so would you like to watch uh listen to him talk about the first one or the second one i want to hear him talk about the second one of course you would i like the second one better okay i'm gonna fire it up okay I got tired of them after a while. Adam's Family Values looks great. They've spared no expense, and they've hired Stanley Kubrick's great production designer, Ken Adam, who also worked on the James Bond films. But director Barry Sonnenfeld, a former cinematographer, cares, I think, more about how his film looks than how its jokes play. We do get the same kind of riffs over and over, and I watch most of them in stony silence. It's not a bad film. I think it's just a safe one. A mixed review for me. A little bit of the mix for me, Gene, and I gave thumbs down to the original Adams Family yeah. picture, and I think that, uh, which is very rare with a sequel, that this one is better than the original. And I so think, you, are you recommending I'm it? I'm recommending it, first of all, because it has a lot of subplots. I mean, there's the new baby, and that yeah. 
produces a lot of funny jokes. There's the relationship between Uncle Fester and this sexy nanny. And then there's the summer camp stuff. So that it's not just jokes involving uh, stuff around the house. Morticia and Gomez, all that. Oh. I, well, the stuff that I like, is, and I'm just repeating it, is the yeah. summer camp because I wanted them to go outdoors and mix it up with regular people. I think that's when they're so funny. I mean, I made the same... Well, that's what happens at summer camp, for example. So, And, and then also you have this joke that the regular nanny comes in and she turns out not to be regular at all. The baby stuff, there was one good line, I think yeah, we just showed it, which was the stuff about he's got uh, grandpa's eyes or something, he has to give them back. Yeah, well, there were, a lot of, there were a lot of good lines uh, in this film. Yeah. Roger Ebert's all about Adam's family values, I like that. I feel like in this situation, I'm the Siskel and you're the Ebert. I mean, they're not, I think they're both right in that the second, the first one's not as good. Yeah. I think but I'm kind of with Siskel. It's just like it's a lot of the same thing. And even though they go out and they mix it up at camp, it's not enough. It's just, it's bleh. Oh, all that stuff's good. I don't know. I think the a addition of, the of Joan, I think, I think the Joan Cusack performance is good enough to elevate all of that. And then all of the stuff with uh, the camp is great. So I think that's funny. I think it's, I don't know. I just, I like it. I like, uh, I, <laughs> Joan Cusack in this movie, like, it's some of this, like, just, I love the, when she talks like this, it's like this. I was a, I wanted to be a ballerina, or like a, <laughs> I just, I like all of that stuff. I just, she's great in these kind of roles, and I wish she was still, you know, all over the place. Can we give those Cusacks more work? Give both John and Joan more. That's what I say. Totally. Not just direct the video stuff, John. Come on, you guys are better than yeah. that. Yeah. You're better than that. You're better than that, both of you. Oh, you're more than welcome to come on the podcast if you'd like. I like John Cusack is in a Amazon show now. Oh, randomly, that's I think. what people do now. I guess I don't know what Joan Cusack's thing. done. Joan Cusack was in um, a lot more of pop star Never Stop Never Stopping than is than appears. She's only in like two scenes in the live in like the, the final cut. But if you pop in that DVD or whatever, she's got a lot of other subplot. They they nice. cut out so much of that movie. All of it, yeah, still pretty good. I mean, that movie works because it's like 90 minutes of, I think, pure you geniusly. Keep it tight. It's yeah. hilarious. Like, it's just the way it is is perfect. But they cut, cut a lot of good stuff out to get to that perfect 90 minutes. So so is is this duo set of movies a good kickoff to Halloween month? <laughs> well, I think that for us, uh, it was good kickoff just because, you know, we do a mix. Like, this, is a, this is a tough podcast because I think we were... Uh, as kids, this was a movie we like to do kind of a mix of like these kitty Halloween movies, but also ones that are not so kitty because it's. I know there's a good balance because mm-hmm. we're trying to rem- we're remembering movies from our childhood, so you have to kind of approach it in both ways. So I think it's good that we do this, and then maybe uh, teasing another episode, we might do something that's a little bit more like horror tinged uh, than than this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's a mix. It's a mix. I think it was a good introduction for the beginning of October. Um, certainly, you can't lead off with like Event Horizon on October fourth or whatever. That's just too scary. That movie still just go, thinking about that movie scares the shit out of go me. Go back and listen to that episode from either we last year going, or the year before. We don't need eyes, eyes to see. Yeah, not roads. That's Christopher Lloyd. This yeah. was Sam Neill. That's why I, I said eyes. I he goes the way you're going. We don't need eyes to see. I know why he's just doing a thing. Yeah, I know. So uh, yeah, I know. I think it's a. It's, I think you're right. I mean, I kids could watch it, but now that you're right about like our kids, we don't want to be giving them ideas about how to kill each other. Probably not a good idea. They take care of that just fine on their own. Yeah. So that's okay. But um. But yeah. Anyway, I don't know. 
So that's the Adams family. I'm more positive, mostly because of the sequel, than you are. I think you probably just you know what you're a little bit more immature than I am. Oh, okay, so this that's really what it is. I can see you as a kid really enjoying this more than I. How many episodes of both versions of Charmed have you seen, and how many times have you seen them? Uh, at least three runs on the original, and only one run on the new version. Arrest my fucking case. On maturity, what does that have to do? I'm I'll not take saying, Adam's family over Charmed. I'm not. Well, they're different. <laughs> it's like apples and oranges. You can't compare. They're comp. They're att- intending to be different. I think it's important to note that Barry Sonnefeld would eventually kind of perfect this tone in a less ghoulish way with Men in Black. Men in Black is more sci-fi, but it, there is a little bit of that morbid humor with some of the kind of spectacular. And that I think he never really made a better movie than that first Men in Black, which is quite good. That's true. Um, his sequel, not so good. I can't remember if he even made the third movie, which is better than the second one. But, of course, then he also made Wild Wild West, a movie that we will do on this show eventually. Yeah, you love too much. I don't know if I can handle an oh, hour I don't... of you talking about you loving it. Oh, no. I don't love Wild Wild West. That's and You have that wrong. Oh, is it Eight-Legged Freaks? That's the one I'm thinking of. Eight-Legged Freaks I do like. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Wild West, I've seen a lot. It's and not like good. And you like the song. And you like to sing oh, the song. Oh, the fucking song. That song fucks. That song is good. All right. Well, on that note, guys, <laughs> thank you for listening. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast. But, like, he and keeps maybe, doing that. So Adam's family had these stop. songs, these theme songs, and then Men in Black had a theme song. Men in Black 2 had a theme song. Black Suit's coming. I mean. I was walking us out the door. Tyler. The Big Trouble movie doesn't have a theme song. All right. Think. So <laughs> if you didn't like this episode, that's okay. But if you like the podcast... Head on over to uh, Apple Podcasts. Is that a thing? I think it's called Apple Podcasts now. It's not even iTunes. I don't even fucking know. Okay. And uh, leave a review. And tell one of your old millennial friends to have a listen. And we will talk at you another movie. Next week, we'll be reviewing the spooky movie. Insert movie title here. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe we'll do like... I don't know. Wizard of Oz or something. Wizard of Oz is not a Halloween movie. Maybe it fucking is. Maybe it is. I I consider that more like a Thanksgiving or Christmas time spooky. movie. spooky. He's got evil witches. Does that? I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, big weather storms. Urban legends about people hanging themselves in the background. I mean, people without body parts, missing body parts. What are you talking about? The guy without a brain, the guy without a heart. They're it's missing harder. body parts. It's all in Dorothy's head. That's also, that's fucking, what's that John Cusack movie? It's all in his head. He's Identity. Identity. It's not in his head. That's that's not quite Sort accurate. of. No, it's not him. It, He's all the people. Well, spoil the movie, why don't you? No. God, let's watch that movie. He's not all the people. Another person is all the people, including John Cusack. Oh, that's great. I just watched half of that. In fact, I, I talked about it on the podcast. Oh, I, I watched watch half it again. of it. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. Sorry about that. We'll talk at you in another <laughs> movie. Write that review about how we're not meandering at all. Shut up. <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>